0: Do you ever find that someone asks you the, the question, What can I pray for you this week? And your mind just sort of goes blank? Uh, you, you struggle around for the latest sickness or exam or a project to mention, but you also kind of wish sometimes that you had some truly spiritual uh, prayer request to mention. Maybe you don't have this problem. Maybe you're very good at coming up with prayer requests. But if you do, I am going to solve it for you this morning. You can say this. I want to see deeper into God's love for me. I want to see deeper into God's love for me. This is a good Prayer request. It's my abbreviation of all that Paul prays for the Ephesian church here. And what's good for the Ephesian church is good for us as well. I want to see deeper. That is a good prayer request and not to be taken for granted. It's not as easy as you might think to see clearly in this world. Do not assume that you see clearly all the time. I started this week thinking, you know, this is a good prayer for a pastor to pray for his congregation, but I quickly found myself pleading with the Lord, show me your hope. Show me your inheritance. Show me your power, for the eyes of my heart are weak. But Paul actually doesn't start with our need to see. He actually begins with thanksgiving. So let's start there, too. Uh, my first point will be beginning with thanksgiving. Beginning with thanksgiving. And, you know, there is wisdom to this approach. Uh, some of you will know that I first met my wife, Jana, on a missions trip. I was leading in the Czech Republic. And I guess I can be sort of direct at times, Uh, Because at one point, she advised me that if I was going to critique the team, it would be best if I started with encouragement and then introduced areas for improvement afterwards. Paul is even more gentle here. He begins with encouragement, right? Saying how thankful he is for this report that he's recently heard about the Ephesians. Uh, But then, instead of telling them where they're lacking, he he actually tells them where he is praying for their growth. Uh, Commending people is actually much more difficult for most of us than critiquing people, and yet, in many cases, it is actually much more motivating. Uh, Perhaps some of you parents or teachers out there have found that, you know, noticing and praising children for any little areas of growth can actually sometimes be more motivating, be more successful than continually harping on their failures. Confrontation, right, that is necessary on occasion, and Paul knows how to confront too. But people... Will not grow when it feels like they only, they're only reminded of their failures. And that's the only thing that is seen. So, in your relationships, learn from Paul here. Be constant in thanksgiving for any evidences of faith and love in those around you. And remember, you really almost have to overdo it because people hear critique more loudly then commendation and then if they are failing in something start by just praying for it Uh, later on in Ephesians Paul will identify prayer as the Christian's most powerful weapon and what do we pray for to see deeper so my second point praying for sight praying for sight And the first thing that Paul prays for here is the ability to see. The ability to see. Seeing is not as simple as just opening our eyes. Consider, for instance, that the average human can see about one million different colors. Uh, Some humans can see up to 100 million colors, but those who are colorblind may only see around 10,000 colors. That alone should make it clear we don't see all the same thing. Uh, Moreover, humans can actually only see a, a small sliver of all the different color wavelengths that bounce around out in the world. And the same limitations apply to all of our senses. For many people, for, sorry, for many years, people thought that you know, blue whales made no sound at all until scientists discovered that, in fact, their voices are just lower than we can hear. And in fact, they are so loud that a blue whale singing in New York City Harbor can be heard by another blue whale across the Atlantic Ocean in England. Consider all that is going on around us that we are missing. And this is all the more true when we add in the spiritual dimension of this world. To know such things, we need spiritual help. And so Paul... He prays for the help of the Holy Spirit to to understand the way, truly, the way that God does. You know, with with some of the wavelengths and the colors that that he can see, we need the help of the Spirit. Paul says in verse 17 that this Spirit is the Spirit of wisdom. He reveals the knowledge of God, and and he sheds light on the eyes of your hearts Without the Spirit's help, you cannot see hope. We need people praying this prayer request for us. This is why it's not wise to just live your life in accordance with what the, the smart people out there say. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty five, 25, God has hidden these things from the wise and revealed them to little children. Some of you kids out there may see God's love more clearly than us old, wise adults. And we need you in this church singing loudly and praying with us and sharing what God is teaching you. Now, Paul lays out three things that he specifically wants the Ephesians to know deeper about God's love. First, hope. Hope. Now, we know from our recent series through the Psalms that there may be times when true Christians struggle to have hope, and the Lord still wants us to speak to him through our hopelessness. And yet, those who follow Christ always have a reason for hope. We are called out of a world of random chance meaningless suffering, futility, and immorality into a world where every broken blade of grass is part of a plan with your eternal good baked into its fabric? Is that too amazing for you to believe? Plead with the Lord for the Spirit's wisdom so that you might know God's hope is no cheap trick. It says to every person in this room who might be struggling with addiction or a wayward child or a difficult job or loneliness or infertility, a chronic illness, uh, neglect, abuse, hope says to you, there is more to your sorrow than you know because you have been called and chosen. And so, pray right now for the person next to you, that they might know the hope to which they've been called. The second thing Paul prays is that the Ephesians might know their inheritance. Their inheritance. Uh, And Paul, you know, he doesn't tell us all the details of this Inheritance. He just says there at the end of verse 18 that it is rich and it is glorious. Uh, but of course, a child receives all that a parent has. Uh, and so the, the riches of a believer's inheritance are the new heavens and, and the new earth in all their glory and beauty along with resurrection bodies that can see and enjoy that world in all its 100 million colors or maybe more. You know, maybe we'll be able to hear the blue whale when we get there. But inheritance means more than this even because it means relationship. It means belonging, sitting at the Lord's table, living in the Lord's mansion, and and all of this in the midst of the saints, those who have been made holy. We can't totally grasp what, what this is all about. Of course, we don't know the depths of it, but take the most pure and delightful uh, moments of relationship you've ever experienced, At moments you wished you could bottle up or, or live in for much, much longer than they lasted, and then put those moments in the most Beautiful, luxurious places you've ever seen. Give yourself the most restful night you've ever had. Take away all your aches and pains. Put the most clever and graceful words in your mouth. And you're beginning to taste a little bit of your inheritance. Why does Paul want us to know these things deeper? because they lead us to marvel at God's love for us. And love is the most powerful motivator that exists. Paul will move to the ethical demands of God in the second half of this letter to the Ephesians, but for now, he just wants his readers to see deeper into the love of God. Finally, Paul wants the Ephesians to know, power, power. And and this is obviously the thing that Paul most wants them to know. You'll notice that he's got these three parallel lines here. In verses 18 to 19. Uh, that you may know, uh, first, what is the hope to which he has called you. And then uh, the second line, it gets a bit longer. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And then the third line gets a little longer even. is like a crescendo. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? And From there, he just takes off describing this power to us. He really gets pretty excited about it. When you read it, you're sort of left wondering, where do I take a breath here? And there's a reason why the concept of power is so important to the Ephesians. You see, the Greco-Roman world they lived in strongly believed in unseen spiritual powers that were at work all around them and was obsessed with using magical practices of all types to try to control these powers and protect themselves. Uh, The city of Ephesus was actually particularly Obsessed with magical power there's, there's this story you may remember in Acts 19 this was during the three years that Paul was actually ministering in the city of Ephesus and these seven sons of Sceva they're trying to control evil spirits by using the name of Jesus sort of like a magical incantation and it does not go very well they get beat up by the guy with the evil spirits and they run naked and bleeding through the streets of the city. And, of course, you would imagine this causes a bit of a to-do in the city and actually even among the church. Uh, so that uh, the text tells us that many believers actually came forward and confessed that they were participating in different magical practices and they brought all their, their magical books and they, they burned them. And the Bible says that the value of the books was something like $6 million in today's (laughs) currency. Now, Christians would only have been a very small percentage of the population of of Ephesus. And so you can imagine, that gives you an idea of just how entrenched and uh, important the practice of magic was in that city. So what Paul is doing in this letter... He's making sure these people understand that the true power of the universe is found only in God. In fact, if you just look at verse 19, right, there's these two words, immeasurable greatness. Okay, these are uh, rare Greek terms that have been found in a bunch of magical papyri and inscriptions from the city of Ephesus as part of Various magical spells. So Paul is using these words to say to these people who live in perpetual fear of the supernatural, this immeasurable greatness you guys are seeking in other places can be yours, but only through belief in God, not these pagan practices. And don't we deal with with similar fears as well? Maybe you don't believe in magical spells or try to control spirits, though religious scholars tell us these types of beliefs are actually on the rise around the world. But don't you find yourself at times paralyzed by your lack of control scared of a world where anything can happen and the the news media is all too happy to collect and curate for you all the freak accidents and acts of hatred that happen to feed your fear if you did think that a magical spell or a sacred uh, relic might keep your child safe at school or remove your parents cancer or give you that thing that you long for would you be tempted to try it maybe you begin to relate to these Christians in Ephesus a bit more Paul's concern is that you might know the true source of of all power not so that you might be able to control that power that is the temptation right so that you can live your life according to your plan uh, rather than God's but we heard in in Jonathan's sermon uh, last week on the first part of Ephesians the plan is God's and he likes his plan not yours what Paul is doing here is showing you that as you look deeper into God's love, you learn to trust his plan. And so I- instead of telling us what God's power at work in us looks like, Paul turns in his final verses to showing us what God's power at work in Jesus looks like. And so we turn to my third point the revelation of God's power, the revelation of God's power. You see, the true depths of God's power at work for his people are revealed by Jesus Christ. Christ reveals to us first the supremacy of God's power, the supremacy of his power. God works this power in Jesus by raising him from the dead. We Maybe a little too used to this concept, so remember that the reversal of death is what we are talking about here. Blood beginning to beat again, breathing, restarting. More incredible. This is a transformation from a perishable body to an imperishable one, the first fruits of an entirely new order of humanity that is qualified to live in the new heavens and the new earth. Christ is then seated at God's right hand in the heavenly places. Kings would sit down on their throne after they had accomplished a victory. And God's right hand is a place of privilege and power. We're told in verse 21 that he is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Four different synonyms that represent the comprehensiveness of Christ's rule. Whether you fear the dark, evil spirits, or bad people in this world, nobody escapes the power of Christ. And Paul makes this clear by continuing, and above every name that is named, just remember, okay, the the Ephesians lived in a world of magical incantations. In that world, the name, of a, a god or a spirit was thought to give you control over something. You could use it to do things, just like these sons of Sceva tried to do in Acts 19. In fact, the first century Roman historian Pliny the Elder wrote that the Romans actually would keep the names of their patron gods a secret so that their enemies couldn't figure them out and couldn't use them to control them. And so when, when Paul says that God placed Jesus above every name that can be named, He's saying, there's no name hidden from Christ. There's no God, there's no spirit that somehow escapes his control. And Paul qualifies the supremacy of Jesus even further at the end of verse 21. He says, not only in this age but also in the one to come. Jesus is over all things now and forever. And finally, Paul adds in verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things. Christian, you need to know this. The foot of Christ is on the neck of every power that exists. Every name that can be named in this age the next. This is no timid claim. This is not half-hearted. This is audacious. This is a king worth following. Who else has made such a claim? This is as ultimate as it gets. But is his foot on your neck also? Oh, friends, again, the love of God is so deep here. For the church is not under this supreme being's foot. Rather, we are told that we are his body. And indeed, as his body, all earthly and spiritual powers are suddenly underneath our feet. And do you see now how the power of God at work in us begins to take shape. You know, we we thought Paul was, was off on some exuberant tangent about Jesus, but all of a sudden we find that he was talking about us too all along because we are the body of Christ. All those who believe in Christ and claim him as their Savior and King are his body and he is their head. And so in union then with the King of Kings, who is our head, we too experience the power of God's resurrection, of his exaltation, his rule over all the earth in this age and the age to come. In Jesus Christ, your hope, your inheritance, and your power are all revealed. And of course, There's mystery to all of this because it's something that's begun but not yet finished and things are always mysterious when we're in the middle of them. But you see, this is why Paul leads us in praying that we might know his power toward us. We are only seeing a sliver of the wavelengths, the deeper notes we can't hear yet. Oh, to know. Oh, to have the hearts, the eyes of our hearts flooded with light. But wherever the church shows itself, however weakly to be his body and the fullness of his glory on this earth, his power is seen. Tell me, what other organization on earth can claim the glorious position given Christ's church in these verses We have as our head the supreme being of the universe, and we are named his body and his fullness upon the earth. He fills all in all, right, Paul says, of course, because in his divine nature he is present in all places. And yet the church is filled with his presence in a special way in the, in, this, in the same way that you know, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle and the temple were filled with God's holy Shekinah glory in a special way. If you've been tempted to view the church as simply a place where you go to you know, meet other Christians and hear a sermon, you are only seeing the tip of the iceberg. God wants you to know his love for you more deeply. And so it is fitting that we turn now to celebrate the Lord's Supper, because in this meal, the Lord gives us a picture of how much he loves his church. It is a visible picture of a spiritual reality. And the reality is this. Christ is, makes you a member of his body by giving you his flesh and his blood. Christ fills you with his glory by filling you with himself. In his body and his blood, you are reminded of your hope, your inheritance, and your power, the revelation of God's deep love for you. Let's pray. Father of glory, we we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, asking that you would give us your spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, so that we might know the hope to which you call us the riches of your glorious inheritance to the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe, we see this power revealed in the supremacy of Christ as the resurrected and exalted Lord over all things who sits with his foot on the neck of every power, every authority on earth and in heaven for all time. And we see your deep love for us and that you have made us his body and his fullness upon the earth so that we might know that same power that reigns supreme in him. We pray this in Christ's name.